You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, this morning we're going to be finishing our Christmas series, which is titled God in a Manger. And here's where we are in the Christmas story. There have been rumblings in Israel. Perhaps they're small, but word is getting around that Zacharias, this old Hebrew priest, and his barren wife, Elizabeth, I believe Pastor Dave called them old shriveled up raisins last week. This old couple has miraculously conceived a child, and the word is that this child will be the forerunner to the Messiah. His name is John, John the Baptist. And there's also a lot of talk about some shepherds who were in the area of Bethlehem. And angels appeared to the shepherds as they were watching their flocks in the night and told them about the coming Messiah, the promised one that Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years. And sure enough, just as the shepherds heard from the angels, they go to Bethlehem and there they find Joseph and Mary and the baby, Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, just as the angels said. And the scripture tells us that they returned to their flocks and to others, rejoicing and telling people all that they had heard. Could this be what Israel has been waiting for all these years? Could this be the end of 700 years of foreign oppression? First it was the Babylonians and Assyrians, and then the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. Could this be truly the deliverance of Israel? There was a lot of expectation in Jesus' day. And I would argue that Here we are on December 31st, 2023, and how many of you are looking to tomorrow being a new year? It's weird because it's just a date change. Doesn't actually circumstantially do anything, but we love the opportunity to have new hope. We love the opportunity to be expectant for new beginnings. Our heart longs for a clean slate, for a fresh start. And Israel was no different back then. They were waiting. They wanted something different. And I want to encourage you as we go through today's text, what is it you're waiting for? What goals are you trying to set in 2024? How will you set those goals? Maybe what have you been waiting for for longer than a year? That prayer that hasn't been answered. That desire of your heart. And as we begin in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, we see the depths of God's love in practice. Luke 2, 21, if you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. It's pretty incredible to me when you consider that God leaves heaven and comes to earth. He humbles himself to the point of being conceived and then birthed, no different in our birth, not the conception, but in the birth than we were. And then Jesus even stoops so low is that 
he's willing to be circumcised. For the Jews, they did this on the eighth day. This comes from Genesis chapter 17, if you want to read that in your Bibles later this week. But God establishes circumcision with the patriarch of the Jewish nation, Abraham. And he tells Abraham, here's why I want you and your descendants after you to be circumcised. It is the outward representation of you being set apart from the world in order to be holy or to be used by God. To be a light in a dark place. To be different compared to those who walk in darkness. And yet when you consider circumcision, it's literally a male having the foreskin removed as a symbol of separation from the sinful life. And Jesus has no what? He has no sin. He has nothing to be set apart for in terms of he's not sinful and needs to be set apart to God. He's perfect. He is a man who knows no sin, was not conceived in sin, but conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yet he stoops so low for a very specific purpose. Jesus went to great lengths to identify with you in every way. Jesus went to great lengths to identify with you in every way. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us this about our Messiah. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Circumcision, that outward sign of being separated unto God, we see that Jesus is the true circumcision. He is the fulfillment of circumcision. He is the one in his righteousness, not our good works, in his death and resurrection, not anything we could do or earn, but in his life, death, and resurrection, he is the one who sets us apart and clothes us in robes of righteousness when we repent of our sin and turn to him. Jesus went to great lengths to identify with each of you in every way imaginable. Why would he do that? Why does this matter to our life? Here's why. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says that all the tax collectors and the sinners in Jerusalem came near to Jesus to hear him speak or to hear him teach. And the religious leaders didn't like it. They were looking at Jesus like, why are you, why are you investing time in the scum of the earth? Why are you investing time in these people who live unholy lives? Why are you taking time to eat with such people? Well, here's why. Because he left heaven to come to earth because of the great love that he has for you and me. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 15, if you were to continue to read the first parable Jesus teaches to those tax collectors and sinners is the parable of the lost sheep. Out of a hundred, one goes missing. And what does the master do? He goes looking for that one. He leaves the 99, pursues the one. When he finds that one lost sheep, he throws it over his shoulder, brings it back, and then rejoices with his friends and throws a celebration for the one that was lost is now found. Not an angry father, not an angry master, not someone who berates the sheep, but someone who celebrates when that lost sheep is found. The very next parable Jesus teaches is the parable of the lost coin. It had extreme value to this woman who lost it. 
But really, in the big scheme of things, it didn't seem that valuable, and yet he goes pursuing it. And once again, when it's found, there's rejoicing, there's a celebration. And then finally, Jesus ends that teaching with the sinners and the tax collectors with a story most of you know well, which is the prodigal son. A foolish young man, demanding his father's inheritance, blowing it on wild living, living according to his own flesh, doing what he wants, his ways. Being humbled by life. Coming to an understanding that he has a good father. And even the servants in his household are doing better than he is. And with a repentant heart, returns to his father, seeing himself as unworthy. And yet his father from a long way off, instead of crossing his arms on the porch going, oh yeah, I knew you'd come back, sucker. It says that he runs from his house, sprints down the road, embraces his son, kisses his neck, puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, a robe over his shoulders, and says, kill the fattened calf. My son who is lost, who is dead, has now been found and is alive. Why does it matter that Jesus went to great lengths to identify with you? Because he loves you that much. And here's why that's so important in our life. Here's why it matters that Jesus was circumcised at eight days old. It wasn't just that Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, which he did. But make no mistake, Jesus spent an entire lifetime subjecting himself to the exact same things that we go through on a daily basis so that you could know you have a Savior who understands, who knows. And he did that because we have this tendency when we sin, we run as far away from God as we can. But if you know who God is in his character, in his love, if you understand who Jesus is in his willingness to identify with you, even at the lowest and humblest depths of humanity, then God willing, when we sin, we run to him instead of from him right where we should go, the source of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace. As a parent, my heart's desire is that my children run to me when they've done something wrong. But the problem is, as a human dad, is when they do something wrong, how's my response? I'm working on that. I don't want to be angry father. Discipline is healthy. We have to confront sin. It can't slide. Jesus doesn't let it. It's paid for on his back, but he's loving and his arms are open. It matters that Jesus went to great lengths to identify with you in every way so that you could know that you are loved and valuable. And he wants to put you on his shoulders and rejoice that what was lost is now found. What an incredible God that we serve. Luke 2 22 through 24. Now in the days of her, that's Mary's, purification according to the law of Moses were completed. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons or a partridge in a pear tree. That last part is not in there. 
Luke is going to go to great lengths between verses 21 and 40 to make sure that we understand something about Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary was not some rogue couple trying to invent a new religion. As a matter of fact, five times in these small amount of verses, Luke will point out that Joseph and Mary followed God's law. They knew God's word and they simply obeyed it. And it's because they were faithful followers of the Lord. They read the law of Moses. They understood that on the eighth day, according to Genesis chapter 17, their son should be circumcised. They understood that they should go dedicate him in the temple because every male who was born belonged to the Lord and he needed to be redeemed. That's Exodus chapter 13. And what's amazing about what we see as Mary and Joseph obey the law of the Lord is that Jesus does not come to abolish the law. He came to what? He came to fulfill it. This is what the Jews had been waiting for. And soon we'll be introduced to a man whose entire life was rooted in waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, Jesus was brought to the temple after 40 days of his mom's purification. That's when the flow of blood, the healing from pregnancy was stopped and she would come to the temple. They would dedicate Jesus and the priest would bless them. And I want you to just think about this for a moment. A 40-day-year-old baby, the Lamb of God, comes into his very own temple. The Lamb of God comes into his very own temple. Wow. The once and for all sacrifice. The Savior of the world. In such humble form. A vulnerable little infant, and yet fully divine. Amazing to see how God fulfills his promises in ways that we would never expect him to fulfill his promises. They bring Jesus, and he is to be dedicated to the Lord. Um, Exodus chapter 13 is a tremendous reminder. This was practiced throughout all of Israel. That in Exodus 13, God's people were in bondage under Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He was a wicked oppressor, cruel to the people of Israel. Held them in slavery and was actually killing their male children because he didn't want their nation to grow anymore. And God, after 400 years, comes to redeem and rescue his people. And if you know the story, God brings 10 plagues against Egypt, each one a mighty show of his hand above their Egyptian gods. And the last plague is the angel of death. And God makes it abundantly clear, every first male child will die in the entire land of Egypt unless you take the blood of a lamb, you put it on the lentils and the doorpost of your home. And when the death angel sees the blood over that doorpost, he will pass by and your firstborn will be redeemed. They will be rescued. They will be saved from death. And Exodus 13 is a picture of Israel being redeemed because they are literally redeemed from the hand of Pharaoh, from bondage physically. But it's even more so looking ahead to the bondage that all of us needed to be released from, which was the bondage of sin that brings death upon each person. And when we consider that the very Lamb of God whose blood would be shed on our behalf was now in the temple. 
What a picture of how much God loves you. That he would send his only son, the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. We also see that there's supposed to be a burnt offering and a sin offering. Um, For most families, it was this. You had to bring a lamb and a pigeon. But if you were a poor family and couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring two pigeons or two turtle doves. And we notice, what does Jesus' family bring? They bring two pigeons because they're not a wealthy family. They can't afford a lamb. And I want you to consider this. We've been going through the Christmas story. This is prior to the wise men visiting them. Remember, the wise men came later with Jesus and Herod's edict to kill all the innocents in that region of Galilee didn't go out until Jesus was probably 18 months to two years old. This is when he's 40 days years old. 40 days years old? (laughs) Pay attention to what I say. 40 days old, and they're able to bring him to the temple because it's safe for them to do that. But they didn't have much. And look at, again, the great lengths that Jesus has gone to identify with so many people. Poverty is not wrong. Being economically poor does not create the person's identity. And if you're economically poor and you're here today, I want to encourage you. Jesus knows what's that like, what's, what that is like for him and his family. He has understanding of what it is to grow up poor. So Mary and Joseph bring these sacrifices because they obey God's commands. They're not doing anything big and magnificent. They're simply one day at a time walking in God's ways according to his word, bringing the Lamb of God into his very own temple. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. What an amazing couple of verses to introduce Simeon. Different characters in the Bible have different things said about them. This man, Simeon, is called just and devout. Just and devout means this. It doesn't mean he was a perfect man. He had sin like anyone else. But just and devout meant he wasn't a Sunday Christian. He didn't just show up to a Sunday service and then go about his life and come back the next Sunday. Just and devout meant that he was saturated in God's word that his eyes were set on the promises of God, that whether it was his family relationships, his work relationships, his friendships that he had, everything was done from a foundation and perspective in which he looked to God's word to guide and lead him in all righteousness. That's what it means by a man who is just and devout. And it said that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Um, In the Hebrew, consolation is the comforter of Israel. And remember, comforter, meaning, well, why did Israel need to be comforted? Well, because they had been oppressed for 700 years by various people groups, and the Romans might have been the worst. They were not in a healthy spot. They were still able to worship in the temple, but there were limitations. And the Roman government was certainly putting itself into bed with the religious leaders or with King Herod. And Simeon, a just and devout man, 
is waiting for the promised Messiah with Israel who has been waiting for thousands of years. Since Genesis chapter 3, when God said that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, Simeon has kept his eyes on that promise of God and is waiting for the Messiah. When we consider Simeon's namesake, um, the word or the name Simeon pops up in the book of Genesis. Uh, that was Leah's second son. And if you went through the book of Genesis with us, uh, you'll remember Leah was unloved. Leah was unwanted. She was the wife that got the old switcheroo when Jacob woke up in the morning and there was Leah, which means what, if you remember? <laughs> Crazy cow. <laughs> there was Leah. And Jacob goes, what the heck? I wanted Rachel. And Laban goes, sorry, I got to work another seven years for Rachel. And Jacob had his eyes set on Rachel. And there's Leah, unwanted and unloved. And yet, even unloved by her husband, God gives her children. And her second son, she names Simeon. That comes from the root word in Hebrew, which is Shema, which is to hear or to be heard. And here's what we need to know about Simeon. Simeon is God hears the man who waits. God hears the man who waits. How many of you like waiting? Think about Christmas time. Um, how many of you ordered an Amazon package and it went from one day delivery to three day delivery and you weren't happy? How many of you have ever waited in an in and out line that you're like, this shouldn't be taking this long? How many of you are frustrated with your toddler who should be doing their own laundry and pulling their weight financially for the rest of the family? How many of you are trying to watch football and the thing keeps buffering and you're missing all the plays? That happened last night. We hate waiting in our culture. It's not something we do well and most things we can get on demand. We can get it right now. And what a picture of the flesh. I want it now. Give it to me now. I want to be satisfied now. I need to feel good now. I need to feel better now. I want out of this circumstance now. And we see about Simeon. Simeon. It's a man who waits and God hears. How long had Simeon been waiting? I don't know, but there's every indication that Simeon is an old man. Like Zacharias, like Elizabeth. Simeon is old and he's been waiting for this promise to be realized. And in Luke chapter 2 verse 26, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him and the Holy Spirit had promised Simeon, you will not die until you see the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. You won't die till you see the Savior of the world. And this is what Simeon set his eyes and his heart upon was God's promise. Maybe today. Maybe today will be the day when I'll see the Messiah. I want to walk with him so I don't miss it. I want to be in his words so I understand what he wants to show me. I want to do it his way instead of my way so that I don't miss this incredible promise. And a question for you to ponder this week is this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for in your life? What are you waiting for in 2024? 
What are you waiting for in your marriage or in your parenting or in your relationships with others? What are you waiting for in your workplace? What are you waiting for? Simeon was waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. And I want us to know that even though we don't enjoy waiting, waiting builds faith in our relationship with Jesus. I wish there was another way. But this is what waiting does for us. It builds faith in our relationship with Jesus. And what's interesting is that when you consider Simeon, here he is waiting for the Messiah. And it doesn't say this in the text, but I'm just trying to put myself into Simeon's sandals. Like, is he, is he waiting for a great general? Is he waiting for an important priest? Is he waiting for a mighty man? But here's what we do know about Simeon. Is he trusted and waited and had faith that God would fulfill his promise, but he kept an open hand of how God might choose to do that. I like to close my fist around how God should do things. I like to help God fulfill his promises in my life. And if you remember the story of Abraham, how does that go? Does not go well. Doesn't go well for him, doesn't go well for Jacob, doesn't go well for anyone who tries to force God to accomplish his promises including his disciples that walk with Jesus. They're constantly wanting Jesus to overthrow Rome, to take a political stand, to become the king of Israel, just like David was. And Jesus has other plans, far greater and surpassing what his disciples can imagine. And I would say the same is true for each of your lives. God has greater plans for your life than you could possibly imagine but it probably won't look the way that you want it to or that you expect it to. And neither did it go this way for Simeon. As he was waiting, it was building faith in his relationship. And in this case, it will be a relationship with Jesus, even though he hasn't met Jesus yet. Everyone on that side of the Old Testament was looking ahead to the Messiah. We get to sit in this historical place of looking back, going, we know the Messiah is Jesus. We know that he's fulfilled what God has spoken in his word. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25 and 26 says this about waiting. Let's read it all together in one loud voice. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Well, what does that look like? It looks like this. If you're dating, ladies, wait for a godly man, even if year after year keeps going by, it will be worth it. Don't enter into a relationship because he gave you the look, whatever that is. I don't have it anymore. <clears throat> I used it to get my wife, but I don't have it anymore. Waiting on the Lord in a dating relationship doesn't just go, oh, we have this chemistry, we have the same hobbies, we love the same music, there we were under the fireworks, he looked at me, I looked at him, it's perfect, I know this is what God's plan is. Is he a Christian? Well, no, not really, but he's open to Jesus. Don't do it. Wait on the Lord. In a married relationship, here's what it looks like. 
you can do one of two things. You can go, Lord, my spouse needs some serious changes in their life. Change them. Amen. Probably won't be answered. But you come before God and you humble yourself and you go, Lord, I have some serious character flaws and I know it. Lord, change me. Give me a heart of compassion, of patience, of leadership so that I can lead my wife the way I'm supposed to. Help me not to get angry or frustrated so easily. Amen. You think God's going to answer that? You bet he will, but you're going to have to wait because it won't happen overnight. Building your character takes time. And God builds his men and women one day at a time. Simeon was waiting. Simeon was being built. His faith was growing in Jesus. So maybe some practical help on how do we faithfully wait on the Lord? What's it look like to faithfully wait on the Lord? It doesn't matter what your vocation is, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're retired, whether you're in corporate business, whether you're a a white-collar worker, a blue-collar worker, it doesn't matter. But here's some things to hold on to of how you wait faithfully on the Lord. First and foremost, abide in God's word. Abide does not mean do a Bible plan, read five chapters a day and say I completed the Bible. That's not a bad thing to do, but that's not what abide means. Abide means to be drenched, to be saturated, to dwell in God's word. God would tell Joshua, do not let the word of God depart from your heart, excuse me, from your lips or from your mind. Meditate on it day and night. Abide in God's word. Breathe it in like air. Drink it in like water. And it's not so that you can be a talking head knowing everything about Scripture. It's so that you can better know the God who sent his son to die for you. So that you can better know his character. So that you can better know his promises. So that you can better know his will for your life. Because oftentimes when we wander through life aimlessly, it's not because we don't have what we need. It's because we neglect what we have. Consider the Bible. God's voice available to you at any time, in any place. And we live in a society that is biblically illiterate, including in the church. People come, people go. But they often don't read God's word. And unless you know God's word, you won't know his will for your life. And if you don't know his will for your life, you won't understand the promises that he's given to you. Promises like this. I won't leave you or forsake you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I I know that one. Okay, you know of that one, but do you know that one? Because that one is a person and his name is Jesus. It's not just a whimsical promise to make you feel better. It's actually to counter your feelings that will tell you you've been abandoned because you haven't. Consider Matthew 6.33. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will what? Be added unto you, be given unto you. Doesn't mean go fundraise first and then walk later. It means go walk with Jesus first and watch him provide for you in ways that might be unusual to you. When we know his promises... It allows us 
to understand who he is. Abide in God's word. The second thing is build your character on Christ, not culture. Uh, We are shaped so much by culture. Uh, Some things are okay. Some things are not very good. Uh, we just live in a culture that says, hey, you've got to establish yourself. You've got to be dominant. You've got to put your foot down. you really got to take life by the tail, the bull by the horns, whatever it is. You've got to be a power broker. You've got to show them who's boss. And God's word says, esteem others more highly than yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. When we know God's character, we can build our character off of who he is so that we can take his character, his fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, and we can begin applying those to every area of our life. We won't do it perfectly. We're just clumsy people. But we can do it better today than we did yesterday and then better tomorrow than we did today. That comes from knowing his word and abiding in it and then understanding his character so that we can get rid of the counterfeits in culture in order to digest the real thing. And then lastly, set your heart's desires on God's promises. Set your heart's desires on God's promises. Um, My heart has a lot of desires. It wants to do a lot of things. Uh, My wife and I were talking, and I said, hey, what do you want to do on New Year's Day? We've got, we've got time off tomorrow. She's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I carefully dropped that there may be the college football playoff games on tomorrow. <laughs> and she kind of gave me that look like, really? That's what you're going to do with your day off? And I was like, bah, maybe just one. <laughs> now, that's a silly example, but my heart has a desire to serve who? To serve myself so that I can yell at the television and pretend that I'm better than all those guys that are playing. And in my day, if they would have had me, we would have won state. I'm just selfish by nature. I have a lot of things I want to do. But if I know God's promises, not only his large promises, but also how those apply to my own life, how he wants to use me how he's called me to be a disciple maker, beginning with my wife and my children and going on to other people that he's put into the circle of life that I have right now. Wow. If my desires are aligned with God's desires, I'm going to be a very fulfilled Christian man because I will see God's promises come to fruition and I'll go, God, you did it again. You're faithful. Look what you're doing in this person's life. Look what you're doing in my life. And I won't wander purposeless through life. Seeking the next football game. Now, it's not wrong to watch the college football playoff. Just want to clarify that. But do consider. Are your desires for the things of this world? Or are they set on God's promises? Because he will fulfill his promises. And if that's your greatest desire, oh, the joy that awaits you. Amazing. Verse 28, Luke chapter 2. Sorry, let's back up one. Let's go to verse 27. So he came by the Spirit, that's Simeon, into the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, I just want to pause on this for just a moment. God had promised Simeon in verse 26 that he would not die until he saw the Christ, the Messiah. And God goes far and above just seeing the Messiah. Can you imagine? Simeon is in this sea of parents. Uh, we got to remember, the temple had thousands of people coming in daily. Jesus was not the only child born 40 days ago. There would have been a line of parents with their newborns to come and see the priest. And Simeon being led by the Spirit, which simply just means he was abiding in God's word, means that he had God's character and he knew God's promises is led to the temple. And not only is he led to the temple, but Simeon is led to Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus. And what does he do? He takes, <laughs> this would have been weird for Mary. He takes Jesus from Mary and he holds him close to his chest. Wow. That's beyond just seeing. Could it really be that God is that accessible, by the way? That he is so gentle and low, humble and merciful, that he would allow sinners like Simeon, like you, like me, to be that close to him? That's what's being revealed. I think sometimes we think that having an incredible walk with Jesus is like performing spiritual ninja warrior. You ever watch those people? Like, how do they do that? There's so many different rings they're getting to, and they got to jump, and they got to balance, and they got to have all this timing and core strength. And I think sometimes we feel like that as people of like, I, I, I will never be like that. And here's Simeon. He hasn't jumped through any hoops. He's just waited patiently on God's promise one day at a time. And now here he is, literally holding the Messiah, the Savior of the world, up against his chest. That's how near God desires to be with each one of us. That's how accessible he actually is. Not some distant God in some far off place that has no idea what's going on down here. Nothing could be further from the truth. Instead, he's a Messiah who went to great lengths to identify with you and me in every single way. I want you to know that embracing Jesus like Simeon does is a daily act of worship, not merely a one-time decision. Here's what I mean by that. Yes, on this day, Simeon got to physically hold Jesus. But he's been embracing God's word and God's ways for a long time before that and a long time after that until God took him home. Yes, on this day, he holds the Savior of the world in his hands. But Simeon has had his eyes set on God for many years, trusting, waiting that God would be faithful to his promises. Church family, I want to encourage you. If you are a follower of Christ here, if you at one moment in time said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinful man, a sinful woman. Please forgive me of my sins. I need a savior and I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, was raised from the dead, 
You have new life promised to you. It cannot be taken away. Romans 9 and 10 makes that abundantly clear. That's a one-time decision where salvation happens in a moment. But I promise you this, God does not want your life to just be a one-time decision. He desires to be in relationship with you daily. It's meant to be an act of worship every day. To embrace Jesus means to get up and go to the job that you don't like or to deal with the people that frustrate you and to go, Lord, I know that I'm here to bless, encourage, and build others and not serve myself. That's what embracing Jesus daily looks like. It doesn't mean you have to ask for your salvation again, but it does mean you grow in God's character, keeping your eyes on his promises. Simeon was embracing Jesus daily as an act of worship, even though he only held him one time in his arms. And now because he holds the Savior of the world in his arms, it says he blesses God, and this is what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Holy smokes. I want to unpack this with you for like two hours. This, this is the part that convicted me the most in my study. Simeon's peace was completely wrapped up in who? Oh! I know it's an obvious question, but I'm going to ask it again. Simeon's peace was completely wrapped up in who? Jesus. It was wrapped up in Jesus. And here's the reality of my life. Maybe this applies to you. I like to give the keys to my peace to a lot of other people and things besides Jesus. I like to give the keys to my peace to my wife. Hey, wife, if you do this, then I'll be happy. I like to give the keys of peace to my children. Hey, children, if you behave like this, dad will be happy. And then guess what happens when wife and kids don't do what I want? Oh, my peace is disturbed and it's whose fault? Theirs. That's a burden no one can carry. There's no way I can hand someone else the keys to peace. And they can somehow bring me peace. That belongs to Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. That's why setting our heart's desire on his promises is so important. Because God will fulfill his promises. Even if it's a long wait, he'll do it. And if your heart's desire is God's heart's desire, you will have what? You'll have peace. But if your heart's desire is for the things of this world, you may get pieces, you may get counterfeits, you may get parts, but you'll always be left wanting more. And you'll end up being dry and destroyed with nothing to take with you. God has a plan. He is intentionally given the keys to peace to his son. Now I want you to know these aren't like literal keys. Don't go looking for keys. Some people do that. It simply means that Jesus Christ can bring peace even when your circumstances are in turmoil. There can be peace in the midst of problems. Consider this. In my own life, when I'm facing problems, my prayers are typically, Lord, please get me out of this problem. Please help this circumstance to end. And there's nothing wrong for praying for people to be healed. There's nothing wrong for praying for relationships to be mended. But I do want to encourage you, if we prayed more about what God might want to do through those problems instead of us getting out of those problems, we'd probably grow in our faith and have peace in the midst of the difficulty as he grows us. 
Does that make sense? Simeon had waited. Now he holds the Savior of the world in his arms and he says, Lord, I can depart in peace because peace is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. According to your word, what does that mean? It means that Simeon abided in God's word. He knew God's word. Genesis 3, 12, 15, 17, 22, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 42. We could just keep going forever and ever looking at the Old Testament of how God fulfilled his promises, 365 of them at the birth of Christ. Amazing. And Simeon, because he knows God's word, because he is growing in God's character and because his Heart's desire is set on God's promises. Now he goes, according to your word, Lord, you did this. This wasn't me. I didn't orchestrate this. Think of this beautiful collision that happens, by the way. You have Mary and Joseph, two free-willed people, simply walking in obedience to God's word and to God's ways one day at a time. Nothing fancy, nothing special. You have Simeon, another free-willed person, simply walking in God's ways in obedience to his word one day at a time. And they both are orchestrated by God's hand to come together at the right time, at the right place, for the right purpose. And if God does that in their life, don't you think he wants to do it in yours? He just does. This is who he is. And not for your glory, not for your comfort, not for your riches, but for his so that he can point to you in the ages to come as a sign and symbol of his incredible grace and mercy. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon speaks prophetically. He knows that he is literally looking upon salvation himself, Jesus Christ. And he further makes it clear that Jesus is not only the glory of Israel, meaning the promise fulfilled for the people of Israel of their Messiah, their Savior, but he is also the light unto the rest of the world which is trapped in darkness for those who are Gentiles, non-Jews. He is the Savior for both. And that, cha that chapter and verse that I cited earlier, Romans 10, 9 and 10, makes it clear that anyone and everyone who believes, who confesses with their mouth, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, they will be saved, both Jew and Gentile. Simeon speaks truth about who Jesus is. But it's not all rainbows and butterflies. And I love this about the Bible. If you actually read it, you'll find out that there's just hard, hard truth and tough love in the Bible, right? It tells you how it is. And most of us, when we read that, we go, oh, God, you so get me. You understand me. That's because he went to great lengths to identify with you in every way. And look at what he says to Mary in verse 33. Simeon says, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts 
may be revealed. Notice what Simeon says here. He specifically tells Mary, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Uh, We talk about in scripture, Jesus being called the cornerstone or the stumbling block. For those who humble themselves and fall onto this rock, they will be exalted. But those who try to exalt themselves will be dashed to pieces on this rock and they will end in destruction. Simeon's making it clear about the truth of who Jesus is. Don't think that he's just a loving guru who comes to give good teachings. He will be the savior of the world or the judge of your soul for eternity in hell. That's who he is. And there's no way to make it soft. There's no way to sugarcoat it. You will either rise with Christ or you will fall to the depths of eternal damnation without him. Simeon speaks truth. And then he speaks directly to Mary. And he says, a soul, excuse me, a sword will pierce your very soul. Well, why is that? Well, he says that Jesus will be a sign that is spoken against. A sign, I want you to think of like a logo. Uh, When you see certain logos, you know, oh, that's that company. That's that brand. I know exactly what that is. Well, Jesus is the sign. There is nobody like him. He is unique. He is the only savior of the world. And there are some hard things that are coming for his life. And all the mamas in the room or grandmas or aunties or babysitters, I want you to think of this for just a moment. I know this is very imaginative, but you're going to have to go with me. Imagine having a perfect child. (laughs) Always obedient, a good attitude, loving and respectful, and everything that they do or that you do for them, they go, Mom, thank you so much. (laughs) Those carrot sticks you just cut for me, wow. (laughs) It's amazing. Like, can you imagine having that child grow up in your home? How many of you mamas are like, yes, please. That'd be great. No, nobody. Yeah, two. Great. That makes no sense. But then Simeon also tells Mary, Mary, it's also going to be really hard because your son will be hated and betrayed by those who are closest to him. And not only that, but the principalities and powers of darkness, including Satan himself, will come against your son. And he will be pierced for your transgressions, mom. Your transgressions, Mary. And you will watch your son die before your eyes. Oh, do you see the tension? The incredible joy of having Jesus as a son the incredible sorrow and despair of watching him lay down his life. This is the Christian walk, is it not? Great joy in knowing our hope and our salvation and our real life is hidden with Christ and also tremendous sorrow and heartache knowing that people that we love continue to reject Jesus. And when they die, they die eternally. The strange tension that we live in Embracing Jesus demands a repentant response to the thoughts and intent of your heart. Embracing Jesus demands a repentant response to the thoughts and intent of your heart. Simeon closes in his comments to Mary with this, and it brings to mind 
several things. Number one, we can't just come to God any way we want to. To come to him means to be humble, to ask for forgiveness of our sins, not just one time, but like that daily act of worship of embracing Jesus daily. To admit that we're wrong, to admit that we need a savior, to admit that we can't rescue ourselves. It means that we're exposed before him. He sees what other people can't see. He understands the dark corners of our hearts that we work so hard to cover up with the world's fig leaves. And then it takes us back to when he sat with the sinners and the tax collectors. And while we were still sinners, God loved you. He died for you. When you were at your worst, your lowest point, he pursued you. He is that loving father with his arms open. He is that shepherd going after the one. He's looking for his lost coin. We must respond to his initiation of love and sacrifice. We continue in this story, the last five verses. And we're introduced to a new character, a woman named Anna, verse 36. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, or in other words, a woman who is a Jew through and through. She was of great age, insert raisin comment here, <laughs> and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Wow. So if we're doing the math, she has been a widow for 84 years. She was married for seven, which gets us to 91. And then chances are she was married between 15 and 18 years old. So this woman's between 106 and 112 years old. You think Anna did some waiting in her life? Wow. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you want to wait 84 years for God's promises? But it'll sure build your faith. You'll sure find your peace in Jesus. And Anna did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. There's so many stories in this room that I know nothing about. Many of you have been waiting. Many of you hurt. Many of you are lonely, even in marriages. Many of you are sick, beyond human repair. And here's Anna. She only got to be married for seven years and then spent the next 84 as a widow in a society that didn't value women. She didn't have a covering over her, except she did. Where was she night and day? In the temple. And that doesn't make her holier than anybody else. What it does mean, she had a husband. And his name was Jesus Christ. And somehow, for 84 years, this woman was provided for. And her faith grew. 
And she continued to wait on God's promises. And here, just like Simeon, it says in verse 38, and coming in that instant, who orchestrated that instant? It's God who orchestrates it. She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Here's what's so amazing to me. Luke is going through great pains to do something here. He's told us that Zacharias, Elizabeth, Simeon, and now Anna are really, really old. And then there's the new era of Christ. The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Zacharias and Elizabeth bear a son who is the last prophet in Israel. He is the end of the Old Testament era. He is the end of the law and the prophets. And the fulfillment, the newness comes in Jesus Christ. And here's what I know. As we get older, and I'm not even that old yet, but it's happening to me. We get set in our ways on certain things. Try sitting in a new seat next week. Try going to a different restaurant than you usually go to. Try a new food that you've said your whole life, I don't like this. It's a whole book about it called Sam I Am. It's not in the Bible in case you're wondering. We just get set in our ways. And here's what I love. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Simeon, Anna, how do they respond when Jesus Christ comes on the scene? Oh, they embrace him. They rejoice. Their heart leaps for joy. This is my Messiah. This is the one I've been waiting for. Because their eyes have always been set on God's promises. Because they care more about his glory than they do about their own. The religious leaders don't want to let go of their positions and authority in life. And so they reject Jesus because he doesn't fit their paradigm. And might I encourage you. Boy, I would have a much more joyful life. If I rejoiced in the infant blessings that God gives to me. Even though I want to see it full grown in my lifetime. What if I just rejoiced at the 40 day year old thing, the 40 day old infant in front of me? When God goes, Hey, did you notice you stopped yelling at people cutting you off when you're driving? Way to go. Small victory in your character. That should be rejoiced over. That's God's transforming work in your life. We want to see, well, I never cuss anymore. I never say anything bad. I never, okay, maybe over time that will grow. But rejoice even in the small blessings and the small victories that God is doing in your life. Embracing Jesus transforms your old life into a new creation. This is what God does. He takes our old life. No matter how old or young you are, he takes your old life and he puts it to death. Some of it right away, other pieces one day at a time. And he builds a new creation that looks more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. This is what you should see in your own life. This is measurable. Can you look back on your old life and go, I don't think this way anymore not attracted to this anymore. I'm less attracted to this now. Whatever it is. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, 
If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all have become new. Jesus is the perfect representation of what it looks like to become new. The law and the prophets fulfilled. Not abolished, fulfilled. What does God want to do in your own life? How does God want to transform your old life into a new creation? Verse 39. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Once again, Jesus grew just like you and me. Jesus grew by watching his dad die at a young age. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Jesus got sick. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus went through life without a lot of worldly possessions. Jesus knew what it was to have a purpose and to be loved by his heavenly father. And if anyone relates to you in your life, it's your savior, Jesus Christ, who loves you more than you can possibly imagine. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, which equips us to walk in your ways, to know how to respond to the circumstances of life, some that we have control over and others that we don't. Lord, would you equip your people today to become more like you one day at a time, to embrace you wholeheartedly as Simeon did, finding peace, even though various aspects of our life are unknown or troubled or hurting. Lord, I thank you that we can come to you daily, that we can embrace you daily, that you want to be near to us. And when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. What a promise. Lord, for those who are walking with you, who know you, Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw them near to you. Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has not yet come under the lordship of Jesus, may they hear and be impressed upon their hearts that you are not an angry God who's out to get them, nor do they have to do some kind of penance to earn your favor or love, but like the good father, the good shepherd, your arms are wide open to them. Lord, we thank you you are a savior who went to great lengths to identify with sinners like us so that we could spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.